Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. The, the beauty of worship is when you come up, you can still hear people saying, Come rejoice now. Oh, my soul is like, oh, just wait, 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 my brother. Well, well, when I found out that I was preaching tonight, I was so excited because I got David and Goliath, which meant I don't have to prepare. We all know the story, the, the, the short guy defeats the tall guy and glory goes to God. And then it dawned on me that in the room we'll have three people who know the story differently. We'll have the first group of people who believe that they are David, they're the hero in the story, and every day they're actively going out to defeat a Goliath. And then we have people who listened to that mic drop sermon by Matt Chandler at Elevation Church right after Stephen Furtick at his own church preached on heroes of the Bible. He goes, he's invited to that very church, and he says to the congregants, you are not David, <laughs> after their pastor had said that they were. You're not David. In fact, in the story, you're most likely to be the Philistines. You're the bad guy in the story and not the good guy. And then I also realized that we'll have people in this room who, when they think of David and Goliath, they think it's only a metaphor. It's only a metaphor that symbolizes the, the, the underdog story. It's a sports analogy. It's, it's only used when Leicester wins the Premier League or if Arsenal ever wins the Champions League. It's an underdog story. And so with these options, where do we go tonight? Well, something I realize is there's many of us who are familiar with this story, but not many of us who have read it. Not many of us who know its contents. But secondly, I was encouraged by the fact that the Word of God is alive. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And so when we come even to a familiar story like this one, it's like fresh manna that the nation Israel received every morning. So join me as we ask the Lord to help us as we go through the study of His Word. And so, Heavenly Father, as we come now before You, we ask that Your Spirit would firstly stir within us a, a great joy that we are saved. That Your Spirit would remind us of His presence and that because He dwells within us, we can understand the truths of Your Word. And so, God, we ask that it will be your spirit who leads this time. God, may I not speak of my own words or have my own agenda, but God, may I only be a servant who's been sent by you. God, may we all leave this place here encouraged that victory belongs to Jesus. The battle belongs to the Lord our God. And so even as we read this story, encourage us, Lord, that we do fight, but we have a great champion in Jesus Christ. So we ask for your help. In Jesus' name, amen. 
And so there's 51 verses, um, and I only have about an hour and 30 minutes. So I don't have time to read the 51 verses. And so what I'll do is, um, if you have your Bible open, we'll keep referring to a few things, but you'll notice that there's a, there's a, there's a huge chunk that we won't read through. So I'll encourage you after tonight, go back home and just read the whole of First Samuel chapter 17. And so the story starts with the battle lines drawn. My first point is the battle lines were drawn, verses 1 to verse 3. Now the Philistines gathered their armies for battle. And the Philistines stood on the one side, and Israel stood on the mountain on the other side with a valley in between. Now the Philistines, if you know anything of the nation Israel, the the Philistines were a constant thorn to their side. If you wondered... Who is the enemy of Israel? The Philistines should top that list. But it's also important for us to know which nation of the Philistines are we talking about here. This was a Philistines on the a Philistine nation on the mend. These guys have just been, they've just gone through constant battle with Saul. They have tasted defeat, and so they are on the mend, and so they are hesitant. In fact, one of the commentators say that one of the reasons why we have a nation on one side of the mountain and the nation on the other side of the mountain, almost like they're playing chicken, is because the Philistines are are still wounded. They don't want to commit. And so the picture is, we've got the nation Israel on one side, we've got the Philistines on the other side, and in the middle we have a WWE ring. And they're both saying, you bring your champion, I'll bring my champion, and the winner will determine who of us is the dominant nation. This was to the Philistines' advantage. The Philistines wanted one-on-one battle because they had a trump card. And that is my next point, the Philistines' trump card. The Philistines had an advantage. They, they could go out to war because they believed that they had won the fight before it even started. For those who've ever played Street Fighter, they, they, had elo- they had loaded that bar enough that they can now do the finisher. For those who played um, is it Need for Speed, they had gathered enough NOS that they could drive past their opponents. They had a finishing move, and so they thought they were stronger. Who was their champion? Consider verses 4 to verse 7. And there came from, out of, from the camp of the Philistines a champion named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. Goliath was over 250 meters tall. If you think Uncle Patrick is tall, Uncle Patrick could maybe have a conversation with Saul, but Goliath was taller than both Uncle Patrick and Saul possibly put together. In verse 5 he said, he had a helmet of bronze on his head. He was armed with a coat of mail, and the height of his coat was 5,000 shackles of bronze. And he had bronze armor on his legs, a javelin of bronze slung between his shoulders. The shaft of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spearhead weighed 600 shackles of iron. You couldn't wrap your, your hand around the wooden part of his spear. And his shield bearer went before him. Can you imagine the shield bearer? This little guy carrying this giant shield 
friends, Goliath's armor and weapons together weighed somewhere between 70 kgs to about 85 kgs. This guy was massive. Not only was Goliath big and strong, but he was also arrogant. Now, I don't have to ask any of you if any of you would even think of fighting against Goliath. In fact, if I asked you tonight, if I said, Tando, can you go and fetch Goliath? You guys would probably sing, Balega, Balega, Nyao Zombili. Run away, run away with both your legs. This man was a clear representation. Now keep that in mind. He was a clear representation of dominance, of power, and of sheer strength. If you were a commander of an army, you wanted Goliath on your side. If you were a king, you wanted Goliath in your army. Does that sound familiar? Do you remember in chapter 9, verses 2 and 3? And he had a son whose name was Saul, a handsome young man, There was not a man among the people of Israel more handsome than he, for his shoulders upward was taller than any of the people. The nation Israel had their own giant. But where was he? Where was the king who was the pride of the nation? Where was he who ruled with dominance and had an ego? Saul was big, but Goliath was bigger. He too was taunted by Goliath. See verses 8. It says, He stood, Goliath stood, and shouted at the ranks of Israel, Why have you come down to draw battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. Now, a quick note, but an important note Goliath is, is called a champion. Now, it's an important note because this is, this is the theme throughout our story. A champion literally means the one who stood between. Goliath was the champion because he stood between the Philistines and the Israelites, and he was a representative of the Philistine nation. And so what he's calling for, he's calling for a champion from the nation Israel, and the nation Israel were confident that they had a champion in Saul. But where was he? Where was he? When he says, am I not a Philistine? He's saying, am I not the image of this nation? The nation Philistine wanted to have the image of power, the image of strength, the image of dominance, almost like China and Russia today. They want you, when you think of them or when you think of America, you must think of power, you must think of strength, you must think of dominance. And so Saul is saying, oh Saul, Goliath is saying, hey, I'm the image of that for this nation. And so he asked Israel, where is your champion? Don't just come here and stand around. Let's fight. Bring your champion. If you remember the beginning of King Saul's reign, the people demanded for a king that they might look like the other nations and that, and that they would have a king who would judge them and who would go before them to fight their battles. And you remember, right before Samuel was was going to anoint him as king, where was Saul? He was hiding. Saul hid himself, some Bibles say, among the baggage, but we can just say he hid himself among stuff when he was chosen as king. Again, Saul is nowhere to be found. Was he not Israel's champion? Was he not the hope of this nation? Why did he hide? Well, Daniel told us last week, now the spirit 
of the Lord had departed from Saul. Saul had lost his power. Saul had nothing in him. He had no fight left. The king of their choosing was no match for their foe. Humanly speaking, Israel had no chance. What have we come to do here? You can almost hear Goliath taunting them. Don't just stand there. Do something. Send someone to be your champion. I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we might fight together. Verse 11. When Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Friends, this giant is a clear image of the evil that we face day by day today. The the wicked are constantly defying God. The, The wicked are mocking God. They mock his people. They desire that you serve them and be the servants of evil. If you are living for your flesh, if you are thrilled and are willing to fight for your autonomy apart from God, if you think that you'll get true joy and true strength when you are in control of your life, when you can do what you want, when you want it, because it makes you feel good, then my friend, you've only bought into the propaganda of your slave master. Satan always stands as a towering beast. Death feels like a formidable foe. Sin is a violating parasite looking to consume you, looking to consume me. When you stand at the face of sin, you often feel like I can't do it. I can't fight my sin. I don't know if you felt that. I I can't stand at the face of my sin. Will I ever be able to break free from my lusting after porn? Will I ever be able to break free from sex before marriage? How could I ever leave a life of parting? I could never stop swearing or engaging in same-sex attraction. Pastor, do you really want me to stop listening to swearing music? Do you really want me to stop listening to vulgar, do you really expect me to hold my anger and respond like Christ when he started me? Never. It's impossible. Humanly speaking, sin is a mountain high enough. It is a valley low enough to keep you from getting to God. Sin will give you no rest. Verse 16 says, for 40 days, 40 days, the Philistine came forward and took his stand morning and evening. If you do the math, 80 times, 80 times they had to stand there and listen to the voice of Goliath calling them out to war. 80 times they were reminded by Goliath that they were such cowards, that they were weak. 80 times. Church, we cannot stand against the giant of sin in our own strength. We too need a champion. Israel needed a champion. And so we know the story. Cue in Israel's champion. Verses 12 to 40, we're introduced to him. But he came by the providence of God. So my first sub-point, 3.1, is the champion comes by the providence of God. In verses 12 to 23, you'll notice David had no business meeting Goliath. 
the, the, the chances of him meeting Goliath were supposed to be so slim. It was more possible for him to hear of Goliath than for him to meet him. You see, David was still a servant of King Saul. He served in King Saul's courts. When, when Saul was, was, was distressed by that evil spirit that we heard about last week, Daniel would come and play the uh, Daniel. Hey, David would come and play the harp. When, while Saul was away at war, being taunted by Goliath, David went home to look after the, his father's flock. But the author does something special here. The author will again introduce us to David. We know who David is. We've met him. We've, we've, we've had interaction with this character. Why do this? Well, the author is about to make a point. The author describes David in verses 12 to 16. He says this, David was the son of an Ephratite of Bethlehem in Judah, named Jesse, who had eight sons. The three older sons of Jesse had followed Saul to battle. Verse 14, David was the youngest. The three eldest followed Saul, verse 15, but David went back and forth from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Don't glance over the detail. This is not part of an editor's cut. There is a point that is being made here. God wanted to use the fight between David and Goliath to remind the nation Israel that it is Jehovah who saves. David was no match for Goliath. But God was. We are no match for sin. We are no match for Satan. We are no match for death, but God is. God would use his providence to remind the nation Israel of this beautiful truth that Jehovah saves. Look at verse 17. Just look at how the providence of God unfolds. And Jesse said to David, his son, take for your brothers an ephah, of this parched grain and these 10 loaves and carry them quickly to the camp of your brothers. Also, take 10 cheeses to the, to the commander of their thousand. See if your brothers are well and bring some token from them. Hey, David, would you mind being an Uber driver for just today? Take some food to your brothers and find out how they are doing. Verse 21, And Israel and the Philistines drew up for battle, army against army. So again, they're taking up their battle lines. And David left the things in charge of the keeper of the baggage and ran to the ranks and went and greeted his brothers. And as he talked with them, don't miss that. And as he talked with them, the providence of God unfolded. Behold the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, came up of the ranks of the Philistines and spoke the same words as before. And David heard him. Right place, right time. Moses landing in Pharaoh's courts through a floating basket. Joseph thrown in a pit, finding himself in Egypt. David hearing Goliath define God. These are simply stories of the providence of God. God leading ordinary men through ordinary means to perform extraordinary things to show that he is an extraordinary, awesome God able to save. The author con continues to unpack this from verse 24. The response of a heart that fears God. Now we get to 
to witness Israel's champion at work. So the, the response of a heart that fears God, how does it respond? One, it perseveres and soldiers through persecution and negativity. If your heart fears the Lord, if your heart is gripped by the love of God, then it will persevere, it will soldier through the harshest persecution and negativity. David faced it. He faced it firstly from the men who became cowards. Look at verse 24. And the men of Israel, when they saw the man Goliath, they fled from him and were much afraid. Have you seen this man who has come up? Surely he has come up to defy Israel. And the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. They were shaking. <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but fear is contagious. You could almost hear these men tell David about Goliath. Almost like the 10 spies who brought back the negative report. They are giants in the land. They, they say to David, man, he is huge. The king will bribe you with riches and his daughter and your father will live for free if you defeat him. But could you really defeat him? They didn't believe it. David could have heard this. He could have heard of this giant in the land. He could have heard of how formidable of a foe he is. And he could have said, I corner, this is not my portion. I was just sent here. I'm just going to go back to my father and look after his sheep. That wasn't the only deterrent. Not only was there now negativity from these cowards, but also his brothers. Look at verse 28. Now Eliab, his older brother, heard when he spoke to the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David. What did David do? <laughs> and he said, why have you come down, and with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? Eliab doesn't care about the sheep. <laughs> I know, your I know your presumption and the evil of your heart, for you have come down to see the battle. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not but a word? And he turned away from him toward another and spoke in the same way. And the people answered him again as before. David, leave this to the real men. Real men are doing real what real men do. You are but a baby. Go back to your crib and drink milk. This is true today. So many people have, have been put off ministry. So many people have been put off ministering to, to, to people because of the flesh. Many people have fallen to sin because they have despised the counsel from people that they have deemed. I, I can't listen to you. You're still wet behind your ears. People feeling threatened. People not wanting to show weakness. What are you doing here? I have walked this road many times before you. There is nothing you can teach me about God. There is nothing you can teach me about sin. Do you not know how long I have been a Christian? I have experience. If this wasn't enough to deter David, the king himself comes with added negativity. Look at verse 32. And David said to Saul, 
Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. And Saul said to David, You're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. It's okay, my boy. Just, just leave him. There's, there's nothing we can do. He's too big for you. I'm scared too. But look at David's response. The fear of God shuts the noise and prompts David to action. Look at verse 34. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and then struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. For he has defied the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion, from the paw of the bear, will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go and the Lord be with you. For a moment you could think that David was a young, naive man who's just caught up in arrogance. Yes, you killed a bear. Yes, you killed a lion. But David shows that he understood that it was God who helped him kill the lion and the bear. David is basically saying, hey, just look back at the hand of God. The Lord has been faithful to me as a shepherd boy. I believe he will, he'll remain faithful to me to defend his name. The cause is clear. Goliath has defied the armies of the living God. David goes on to say, I will not use your untested armor, saying this to Saul, but I will use what I have tried and tested. I'll, I'll take five stones and I'll take a sling. Now, as an aside, maybe in Sunday school you are taught about the five stones, but the five stones don't have allegorical meaning. I believe that, 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 that what David was, was, was doing when he took five is in case he missed with one, he had four others. But I can assure you that David was praying that he hit Goliath the first time because he knew if he missed. <laughs> Friends, don't miss the point of this story. David couldn't help but do something. David couldn't stand by and watch God being ridiculed. He couldn't stand by and watch the world make a mockery of the God who he loved. And so why are you silent? Why are you in hiding when the world is publicly defying your God? Church, we need to take a stand for the sake of Christ. But the reality is you will never suffer for the sake of Christ if you are looking like the world, if you are living like the world, if you are laughing with the world, and if you love the world, you will never want to suffer for Christ because the two go against each other. And so church, the challenge is to stand for Christ. But stand with this encouragement, which is my final point. The battle belongs to the Lord. Look at verses uh, 40, 41 to 58, but I'll only read from verses 2 to 44. It says, And when the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth, ruddy and handsome in appearance. And the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. 
And Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. So my first sub-point is, friend, you are no match for sin, Satan, and the flesh. You are no match for sin, Satan, and the flesh. Goliath asked David, who do you think you are? And tonight I'm asking you, who do you think you are that you think you can go against your flesh and sin and Satan by your own strength? You will fail. You see, what the hypercharismatics have wrong is that they make you believe that Satan is this little toy that you can just toss around. What we get wrong is that we think that sin is merely a mistake that we will correct next time. What we get wrong is that the flesh just needs me to be more disciplined. If I just exercise more discipline, then I'll stop, I'll stop giving in. Friends, the foe is a formidable one. Sin is a huge giant. Who do you think you are that you in your flesh can stand against evil's champion? And so I want to remind you that victory belongs to Jesus. The battle belongs to the Lord. And you see this in verses 45 to 51. Then David said to the Philistine, You came to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. Listen to this. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the army of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I will strike you down and cut off your head. I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with the sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. This is really the point of the story. It is a great story. In fact, the author paints this picture beautifully that as a reader, you read this and you are intrigued. But friends, the point of the story is not the underdog. David, in fact, is not the hero. But the point of the story, friends, is that Jehovah saves Israel needed a hero, not, sorry, Israel needed a champion, not one of their choosing whose strength was in himself like Saul, but they needed one who would save them, not with a sword or with a spear. Friends, Jesus saves. You cannot save yourself from the wrath of God. You cannot save yourself from temptation to sin today. You need a champion and he exists. He is not in hiding. His name is Jesus. He was mocked and he was scoffed at his, at his death. They asked, oh Israel, where is your king? Where is your savior? Where is your champion? There in the grave he lies. Your champion has been defeated. But what the world did not know is that, what the, la that the lamb that was slain is going to be resurrected to become a roaring lion in victory. Friends, the enemy has been defeated. His head, like Goliath, will be chopped off. Well, we need to be biblical. His head will be crushed. <laughs> You must believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. 
You must believe that you need him to fight today. You need him to stay saved today. Even your sanctification rests in Jesus Christ. David trusted God. He was anointed with the Spirit of God, and so he was victorious. See verse 50. So David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and with a stone and struck the Philistine and killed him. There was no sword in the hand of David. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and and drew it out of 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 its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. Through his death, we live. Friends, I couldn't help, but I I need to read the whole passage of of Romans chapter 8, so please bear with me. I, I am at the end. From verse 31, it says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but give him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Praise God for our champion. And so my last point is Christ's victory empowers us. Look at verses, sorry, my last sub-point. Christ's victory empowers us. Verse 52 says, And then the men of Israel and Judah rose with a shout and pursued the Philistines as far as Gath and the gates of Ekron, so that the wounded Philistines fell on the way from from Sha'arim as far as Gath and Ekron. And the people of Israel came back from chasing the Philistines, and they plundered their camp. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, but put his armor in his tent. Remember that nation that was standing across as the champion taunted them day and night 80 times? This weak nation found its voice. No more are they standing and waiting in fear, but they are pursuing the enemy. 
David's fear for God moved him to oppose evil. His trust in the Lord allowed him to move in confidence to stand for the name of the Lord. His victory as a champion allowed the nation Israel to move forward and actively slay the acts that those who are of darkness. Friends, the victory of Jesus gives us the ability to actively swing the sword and cuts the deeds of the flesh. We can fight evil because Jesus is victorious. We have a champion. And so, friends, as I close, it is the love of Christ that must constrain us. It is the love of Christ that must compel us. It is the victory of Jesus on Mount Calvary that that, that must help us and encourage us to stand in the front lines of the battle. Remember covid when you were a frontliner, if you were working at Checkers or if you were a nurse, because you were, you were right there where the battle is happening. Stop hiding. We need you in the front lines. Consider the victory of Jesus and stand in the front lines for the name of Christ, knowing that we can fight this spiritual war from the position of victory. Friends, we are not guessing what the outcome would be. We are not hoping for the best. Our God is the lion. He is the lion of Judah. He is roaring in power. He is fighting at battle. He is fighting our battles. And every knee will bow before him. Our God is the lamb. He's the lamb that was slain. For the sin of this world, his blood breaks the chains and every knee will bow before the lion and the lamb. Ah, praise God that we can be victorious through him. And so friends, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. And then remember that the Lord is faithful. He will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. And so yes, You are not the hero of the story. And yes, you shouldn't go to work and consider that your boss, your assignments, your studies, your wife is the giant that you're looking to slay. But we are facing Satan, sin, and the flesh. Every day we are facing an enemy and friends in our own flesh, in our fleshly eyes. He is a formidable foe. He is a giant. But those who fear the Lord, those who trust in the Lord, have him as a mighty fortress and as a glorious champion. Oh, victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He sought me and bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. Let's pray. And so, God, this evening we were reminded at the start of the service of how great our God is. And so, God, even as I close in prayer, I want to read the remaining verses of that chapter. 
Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel? My way is hidden from the Lord, and my right is disregarded by my God. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is an everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases in strength. Even youths shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But they who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and and not be faint. And so God, thank you that we do serve such a great and awesome God. And thank you for the victory that, is, that has been secured in Jesus. And that as we fight this battle, remind us that it belongs to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.